0: We're going to go to Zechariah, and so I I got to stop right here and explain something. I uh, was very, very excited about what I was going to preach on this morning uh, for conference. Uh, I was uh, very excited. I was uh, preparing, and uh, I talked to Pastor Greg uh, Mitchell on Friday. We were talking. And he was asking me about how things are going. And I told him, I, I said, I feel a little bit like uh, you and Pastor Mitchell because I have both sermons done, Sunday morning, Monday night. And, you know, that's not, that, it's not normally no worked like that, but Pastor Mitchell would always tell me, oh, yeah, I've already got, you know, like a month before conference, I already have my sermon. Pastor Gray, hey, I'm already ready. Uh, and so having done that, all set to go, but then... Everything changed yesterday morning, and I could not get away from it. I'm like, I got my sermon ready. Everything's ready, Uh, but everything changed, and I could not shake the importance of preaching to where you and I are at, and so that nice little conference sermon I'm going to tuck away, but I want to change direction today today. And we're going to go to the book of Zechariah. Yesterday morning, early, Pastor Stevens had tried to call me. And uh, I, uh, I thought, oh, that's just kind of unusual time to, to call. And so I was uh, getting ready to come to prayer in the morning. So I said, well, I'll, I'll just call him back once I'm in my car. And I called him back. And the first thing he said is, Richard, did you hear the news? He No, I didn't hear the news. Pastor Stephen's daughter and son in law, Bobby and Carrie Perez, are pioneering a church in Tel Aviv in Israel, and he says Israel was attacked. Fourth or four, about five o'clock in the morning, Israel time. Hamas, which is the political power in the Gaza Strip or just south of Israel, that area right there, that's part of the Palestinian Authority, launched 5,000 missiles in 20 minutes at Israel. And so Pastor Stevens was telling me that uh, Sister Renee had been in Israel over the summer, and while she was there, one of her grandsons downloaded an app that they have in Israel. And what that app is, it... It, whenever Hamas launches a missile, it triggers what we would identify as an amber alert. But it means a missile has been launched in Israel. And when that happens, it shows up on their phone. They launched 5,000. I, I have a picture, Pastor Stephen sent me a picture of what that looked like on Renee's phone. Each one of those represents a missile in 20 minutes. 5,000 missiles. Not only that, they attacked by water and they attacked by ground. Stepped into uh, settlements that are nearby. Uh, They stepped in. They began to go door to door, killing people, taking hostages. And this morning, as I last heard, there are more than 500 Israelis are dead. More than 2,000 are wounded and hundreds have been captured and taken hostage. This is the worst attack on Israel in 50 years. I was raised in the center of Tucson, Arizona, in a very old neighborhood, and that neighborhood has a large presence of of Jews. Uh, If you were to go to my elementary school that I attended from third, third through sixth grade, 30%, 30%, I would say, approximately, of the students were Jewish. When there was a Jewish holiday, the school would be empty. Um, and when Yom Kippur, the war happened in October, ex- exactly 50 years to the day or the, they attacked, um, this was a huge deal in our school because many of the families had relatives in Israel. There were families we knew who had just moved to Israel. And so the, when you went to school, you felt like you were under siege. You felt the, the, it was very much more personal than it would have been maybe to other, other places. And that particular war, uh, it, Israel was completely surprised, just like what happened yesterday. That war included Egypt invading from the south, Syria invading from the north, and they almost, they, at that time, almost finished Israel off. I remember being in Israel and one time when we were up by the Golan Heights and our guide explained to us that Syria moved in and they moved, they penetrated Israel so fast. They thought it must be a trap and they halted because they thought this can't be this easy. They had no idea. Israel is completely full. They could have gone all the way in, but they stopped. And in those 24 hours that they hesitated, the United States was able to get support to Israel and they're able to push them back. At that time, America had a very strong president. His name was Richard Nixon. And he stood up very firmly to the Soviet Union that was behind the invasion. We don't have a president like that anymore. And they know it. I remember coming to school one morning and our teacher telling us that last night, America's military was put on Red alert for the, for the first time because Israel began to move and got within a few miles of Cairo, Egypt. And the Soviet Union stepped in and was about to step into the war. And Nixon put America's forces on red alert. There was a standoff and they finally pulled away. That was 50 years ago. And here we are Today. And so, what I felt led to do is to talk to you about the nation of Israel and why this matters to you. Why this says, Pastor Martinez says, isn't some event happening out there? There's a lot more happening. And I want to tell you, every Bible student, any person who begins to ask themselves about the return of Jesus Christ in the last days, when something like this happens, they stand up and they take notice. And I want to look at that with you. Because there are people here, you, you kind of see it. And, and, uh, and, and today, I'm going to just kind of explain the nation of Israel to you. And when you see these things, you better open your eyes. I want to tell you in my prayer, and I mean, I've got to understand, this was a struggle for me. I wanted to preach this other sermon. I know we're in Bible conference, uh, but I felt God deal with me. You know, there are some people that they might, uh, they might uh, quit saying one of these days and realize this may be the days. And if I'm going to do something, I better do it now. And so I want to preach a sermon called The Time Clock. We're going to go back to a prophecy made by a man named Zechariah 2400 years, 2400 years ago, that explains why it matters. when Once again, this nation of Israel is in the headlines. Zechariah 12, we'll look at a couple of passages here. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. It shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, uh, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will strike every horse with confusion and its mad, rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And let's just jump down to verse 7. And we'll pick it up uh, right here. Then the Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who was feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, Verse 10 is one of those verses you should underline in your Bible. And I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Father, I ask you to help us. God, I pray that we will be sober-minded in this generation, that we will not be drunk in this time. God, prepare us in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. First of all, Israel is God's time clock. You can set your watch by the nation of Israel this morning. You know, people are always trying to foretell the future, and I hope you don't go to PsychicHotline.com. I remember when Psychic Hotline declared bankruptcy. How do psychics know, not know that they're about to become bankrupt? I want to know. But I want to tell you that if you want to understand it, uh, if you want to figure out the future, just pay attention to the nation of Israel. It is God's Time clock. Here we have uh, the words of this prophet uh, 2,400 years ago, and he makes a prediction about the last days. He sees, uh, beloved, pass all the events that would happen at a time uh, pre-Alexander uh, the Great or the Roman Empire uh, or the Byzantine Empire. He, he looks way beyond all human technology uh, and he looks to the end of time uh, and he says at the end of time, you're going to know it's the end of time uh, because the, the headlines and the focus of the world will be once again on the nation uh, of Israel Behold, I make Jerusalem of of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. They will lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Here a man can write that from an obscure little village in the middle of a desert 2,400 years ago. And we stand here today with all that we have and all that we know. And once again, here's Jerusalem and Israel at the forefront of the world. Once again, it is the headlines just as Zechariah predicted Let me remind you this morning a little bit about the nation of Israel so you'd appreciate it. First of all, it's important to know that it's a tiny nation. It's a small nation. The geography of Israel would be the distance from San Antonio to McAllen, around 230 miles. The width of the nation of Israel is the distance from San Antonio to Kerrville. That's how small it is. I've been there a couple of times. Get on the bus. You can move around it extremely quickly. It's almost You're almost surprised how close things are. When you look at this, um, it is a tiny nation. Um, and yet God decided that when he was going to reveal himself to his creation... That he was going to choose the nation of Israel, beginning with Abraham and Sarah and their descendants. Uh, If you know the Bible, you know that God separates Abraham uh, from chapter 11 of Genesis. uh, And the focus is on Israel. uh, Because if you want to understand who the God of the Bible is, all you do is look at his dealings with Israel. He raises them up, he blesses them, uh, he provides for them. He gives them land. Uh, he, re- he when when they wander from that land, he returns them. Parts of Red Sea humbles the most powerful nation in the world, uh, and they're delivered. uh, And they finally make it into this promised land, and and God blesses them and helps them and gives them favor. And they have a law. They have a tabernacle. They have his presence. They have uh, prophets. They have all the blessing of God. And yet the nation of Israel backslides. They turn away from the God that blessed them and helped them. They began to worship the idols of the people that were around them. Finally, it comes to a point where God says, enough's enough. You have violated me long enough. He had told them his words in the book of Deuteronomy. I am going to put you in a land uh, and I'm going to displace the people of that land. He said, because their sins, uh, his words, I'm going to vomit them out of the land. And then he says to Israel, if you do what they do, I'll vomit you out of the land too. You can read the book of Jeremiah when Israel, so steeped in idolatry, has finally come to that point where the prophet, the weeping prophet, is saying it's going to come down. Judgment's coming. There's an enemy coming from the north, Babylon. They're moving down. They're destroying everything in front of them. It won't be long before they're here. You better repent. We better repent of our sin or it's going to happen. The problem was that contemporaries of Jeremiah who called themselves prophets were saying, No, 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 that won't happen. God loves you, God's going to help you, He's gonna come and fight for us, we're gonna turn back the enemy. No, no, and, and 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 so you know, people would rather go to their church than go to Jeremiah's church and be told you better repent or you're gonna be judged. Jeremiah got in trouble, he got arrested, he got put in a sewer. He was uh, uh, beaten. They took his prophecies and tore them up uh, because nobody wanted to hear what this man was saying. And that is that God will vomit you out of the land. And eventually that's exactly what happened. The, uh, the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came. Uh, and the Bible says they sacked Jerusalem. They began to kill people off. Uh, they took the choice young men uh, from the land uh, and they made them captives and they carried them off uh, to Babylon. Uh, and they destroyed the land. And, uh, and, uh, and just as Jeremiah said, it was going to happen. But let me remind you that Israel is a time clock. And Jeremiah said these words when this happened. Jeremiah twenty-five eleven. The whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So you could set your clock to that, press the button. And sure enough, for 70 years, we follow the story of Daniel and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we follow the story as, as you begin to read about um, Queen Esther and Mordecai and the various dramas that happened uh, while there. Ezekiel was, a, was an exile prophet. And, and you read these stories, uh, and sure enough, at 70 years... A Persian king named Cyrus, God moves on his heart uh, and he allows these people that for 70 years have lived in Babylon. Uh, it's almost as if he looked at his watch um, and he said, I give permission uh, for the Jews to return and begin to rebuild the temple. And after that, not long after that, Nehemiah comes uh, to begin to rebuild the city. And just as God said, I'm going to take you that were scattered. I'm going to take you that were taken away from your land. And I'm going to return it to you. And God did that very thing. It was a wonderful, wonderful miracle. But it was something else. It was a prophecy about another time where Israel would be scattered. So Israel comes back. They began to return to their former glory. They build a more beautiful temple now. Things are going good, it seems. Guess what happens? they start worshiping the idols of the people around them again you ever seen somebody that they get right with god and then they and they do good and all of a sudden they go right back a whole nation did that once again they began to move in that er, 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 uh, way, and they began to get involved, and on one hand, you had ultra-legalists, and on the other hand, you had people who were compromising, and pretty soon, they fall uh, into an occupation by the Roman Empire that now rules and dominates them, and, and uh, uh, you have a, a land of people, the Pharisees that are extremely self-righteous and legalistic, and on the other hand, you have compromisers uh, uh, and publicans and people who work for the Roman Empire, and, and 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 all that's involved, and it is right here that Jesus Christ shows up. And he begins to minister, and and the the people interpret Jesus' ministry as somehow he's another judge, like in the book of Judges. He's our Samson. He's our Gideon. He's going to lead us, and we're going to have a revolt, and we're going to overthrow the Roman oppressors. Uh, Many believe this is what Judas was all about. And Judas' betrayal was when he realized that Jesus wasn't going to do that. That they, they have this idea, we're going to do this. And instead, uh, rather than lead a, 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 a revolt, he dies on a cross. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. You, you wanted a military revolt. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to die and I'm going to liberate you in an entirely different way if you want to be. They crucify him. They crucify him. God begins to raise up a church. What those people didn't know when they crucified Jesus Christ is they would be the last generation of Jews. A clock, Israel is a clock. They killed them approximately 33 AD. But we know that 37 years later, it would cease to be a nation. And these people that were crying revolt, These people that were so powerful that they told the Roman governor uh, uh, his blood be upon our hands. Crucify him. Had no idea what they were saying. The Bible says that women were weeping as they watched Jesus going to the cross. He said, weep for yourselves because he knew what they didn't know and that is this is the last generation. In 70 A.D., The Roman general Titus, having besieged Israel for a couple of years, received Jerusalem, finally went in and destroyed Jerusalem. Destroyed it. The Bible says they dismantled the temple. Some of you have been to Israel. When you go there, they take you to the eastern wall, the wailing wall, and you're there. And the reality is what you are looking at was built later. The reality was Herod's temple, which was a magnificent structure. Those, those, the, the only two stones are left are way down in the, bottom. everything else had been removed. That's how they just want to eradicate Israel. Then from there, they moved to the final enclave of Jews that fled Jerusalem. And they went to, uh, to Masada, which was Herod's secret hideaway up in the mountains. It was called uh, uh, completely secure It was high up, and the Romans so driven to destroy Israel, and you got to catch this. I hope I can communicate. They were so driven to still, rather than just leave, uh, there were a 1,000 Jews up there. That was it. They could have said, job done, mission accomplished, let's go home. But they so wanted to destroy any last vestige of Judaism that they had a three-year siege to try to figure out a way to kill those last 1,000 Jews. I've been to Mossad. You can see the dirt rampart that the the Romans built. 2,000 years later, I'm standing there and I'm looking down at a ramp that was made 2,000 years ago. Up the side of a mountain. And they finally were able to breach the walls after three years. And when they got up there, the the Jews that remained said, we will not die at the hand of Romans. And they committed a mass suicide, all of them. And that happened 73 A.D. And when that happened, the Israel nation ceased to exist. And it didn't exist. Just like when they were taken captive to Babylon, though, God said that's not the end of the story. The Lord Jesus said these words 2,000 years ago. Learn the parable, Matthew 24. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and put forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, all that stuff you read in Matthew 24 about the last days, all these things, know that it's near at the doors. I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And Jesus Christ, pointing to Israel, the fig tree, he says, when you see the fig tree begin to blossom again, Pay attention because all sorts of, all these things are going to begin to happen. You got to remember, he said this 35 years or so before Israel would be destroyed. And he said, you're going to see it, that fig tree blossom. Isaiah, there's a prophecy made. It says this. It says, he will set up a banner for the nations, Matthew, or Isaiah 11, verse 12. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Here's Isaiah about 2,600 years ago, and he's saying there's going to come a day where the nation will will come back together, and you're going to begin to see the Jewish people who are now living in the four corners of the world coming back to Israel. Think about it. These people lived in a world where nobody would travel maybe a hundred miles in their whole lifetime. And this man is saying that Jews will be dispersed to to the four corners of the earth and they will all come back to Israel. I want to tell you that happened. One day it happened. Here's, let me give you another prophecy. Isaiah 66:8. who had heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day or shall a nation be born at once uh, For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Think about that. Here's a prophecy again spoken by a man 2,600 years ago. And he said that Israel will become a nation and it will become a nation in one day. It will happen in one day. and I want to tell you, you want to read a great history, read Harry Truman's biography when he was president and the incredible pressure as Israel wanted to declare itself a nation. And they, they know, that this is right after World War II, we need America. If America stands behind us, we will become a nation. If America says, no, we're not going to be able to do it, Uh, incredible pressure put on Harry Truman. Some of his own uh, cabinet were were, uh, anti-Semites, and they didn't want it to happen. Uh, There were others uh, that were pressuring him. Um, And then Harry Truman, because one of his closest friends that he met in the war was a Jewish man, uh, and because of this man's influence, Harry Truman declared uh, that the United States would back. uh, He sent signal to the United Nations on May 14, 1948, uh, Israel was born in a day, uh, just like the prophet said, 2,600 years ago. And when that happened, guess what? Jews began to make their way back to Israel from the four corners of the world. Some of them were down in Argentina. They were living in Australia. They were living in America. They were living all over the world. Uh, I'm telling you that you could set your watch by Israel this morning. That this is why this matters. This is why here we are today with Israel under attack. And we better stop and pay attention because this is God's commitment to the nation of Israel. Let me move along very quickly. And that is Israel is not just a time clock. Israel is a stumbling block. Because that's what our text says here. He says uh, very clearly in the word of God uh, that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples this is going to be a, a, a problem. That this is always going to be, a, that the ancient prophecy is not just of Israel, but that Israel would be the center of the world's attention. Uh, and that the real issue is that the world hates Jerusalem. I remember a few years ago when, when uh, Donald Trump was president. When he, he did something that every president before him promised to do but never did because they didn't want to deal with the political fallout. He made Jerusalem the location for the American embassy. He said that Jerusalem is truly the capital of Israel and that it belongs there. And I mean, there was such a hue and cry. He's like, why would people care so much? I'll tell you why, because the world hates Jerusalem. And here is this prophecy right here. Maybe you're in this building this morning. Say, Pastor, I'm here. I don't believe a thing you're saying. I don't even believe the Bible. Well, then you ask yourself how a man 2,600 years ago could, could say this is going to be what happens in the future. You explain to me how that's so. You remember God told Abraham about his descendants? I'll bless them that bless you. And I will curse them that curse you. Why is it that Israel elicits that kind of response? Why is it this morning that it's blessing or cursing? That there's such a polarization about the nation of Israel. And that is what you and I have to consider this morning. If you know the story of Israel, you know that it has always been under assault. Russia was famous for its pogroms where they would attack Jews and force them out of their villages, and, and, and that history as rich as many had gathered in Eastern Europe. I don't have to spend a lot of time telling you about Nazi Germany, the extermination of six million Jews. One story that's worth repeating is the story of the SS St. Louis. Here was a, a, a boat that was pretty, pretty much a cruise boat, and that cruise boat would you know, bring people, and they would, like it would come across from Germany, and it would go to Canada and the United States and back to Germany. that's what its route was. And in the late '30s, there was a, a godly uh, uh, ship captain who, who ran the St. Louis, And what he did is he allowed 900 Jews, German Jews. By now, it's pretty clear where where they're headed to come on board. And then he fled Germany with these 900 Jews. And his plan was to take them to Cuba and drop them off so that they would be safe. By the time the ship arrived in Cuba, Germany had put so much pressure on Cuba that they wouldn't allow them to, to, to disembark. They did not want to offend them. And so they left Cuba and they headed to the east coast of the United States. And so surely the Americans will take these people. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt said no to 900 Jews. And the United States of America would not allow them to disembark. They went up to Canada and Canada said no. And finally, having nowhere else to go, they had to return to Europe. They dropped a few off in England. The rest came and dropped off in the Netherlands Only not long after the Netherlands fell and many of those people were killed. Remember the prophecy. Jerusalem is a stumbling rock. rock. Why do they hate the Jews, man? Oh, yeah, no. Why can he say that thousands of years ago and that lived out in recent history? You know what an interesting thing I found out that I thought was fascinating about the Philippines. I didn't know this fact that the Philippines were one of the only nations in the world that said to the Jews of Germany, come here and find refuge. And they actually, Jews made their way to the Philippines before it fell to Japan, but they brought these people in. And you know what? The Jewish people have never forgotten that. And to this day, a Filipino is permitted to migrate to Israel because they're one of the few nations in the world at that time that said, you're welcome here. And here's the interesting thing. We have a pastor in our fellowship, a Filipino pastor and his family, pioneering in Israel today because of that permission that's there. And you need to pray for them because they're, they're, they're pioneering a church right near the border of where this all happened. And I, I don't know actually how they're doing. That here would be this kind of assault. It's very interesting to listen to what people are saying about this invasion. I gave this information to the men. Let's see if they can stay up with me. Iran, this is what Iran said. This This is today. We will stand by the Palestinian fighters until the liberation of Palestine and Jerusalem. China. Remain calm, exercise restraint, and immediately end hostilities to protect civilians and avoid further deterioration of the situation. Saudi Arabia, immediate cessation of violence. Morocco, contempt attacks on civilians, quote, wherever they are. Turkey, we call for restraint from all parties. Qatar, the foreign ministry, said Israel alone was responsible for the ongoing escalation of violence with the Palestinian people and called for both sides to show restraint. I showed you that map. Put that map up again. How many know you can't drop 5,000 missiles and then say, okay, everybody calm down. Let's not get upset. What does that mean when they drop like that and then say, well, okay, you know, don't do anything, you know, we urge restraint. In other words, it's okay that they drop 5,000 missiles on it. Why do people hate Israel? That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Why Israel? Again and again and again. Now, I was very interested. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I, I teach on this stuff. A quote I read about Japan that like 98% of Japanese have never met a single Jew. And yet there's a tremendous anti-Semitic movement in, in Japan. Why? Let me close. Israel will return to the rock. I want to give you the future of Israel in three words. And I'm going to finish this sermon. And I hope it. I hope uh, this is wor- worthwhile. To see, because the question is, what's next? For somebody like me, I make no, uh, you know, uh, uh, bones about it. When I got saved, I got saved because I believe Jesus Christ was coming back. That was 1979. When I hear these things, I like, whoa! This is the very thing that caught my attention 40 years ago. This is the very thing that we were concerned about. And I want to just tell you the future of Israel. And I'm saying that because of what men thousands of years ago said in the past. And they seem to be right all along, so we might want to pay attention to what they're saying about what's coming next. And I, say, I want to say it in three words. First of all, the word invasion. There's going to be an invasion of Israel. And it's not just going to be Hamas. Now they're talking about Hezbollah coming into the fight. It's not going to be that. Those are simply proxies for much bigger countries. But there's going to come a point where there's going to be an invasion. The prophet Ezekiel in chapters 38 and 39 describes an invasion. And that invasion will be led by a coalition of Russia and Iran. You go back. You read that. I don't have time to... Go through all the verses. You have a Bible in front of you. You read verses, chapters 38 and 39, that there will be a coalition, but that coalition is Russia and Iran. If you've listened to the news in the last 24 hours, virtually every analyst will say that uh, Hamas would not have done that without Iran's permission. They would not have done that uh, without Iran's permission. Just a couple of weeks ago, the United States foolishly, foolishly released $6 billion to Iran uh, and uh, here we are two weeks later, uh, and now Hamas feels confident to be able to launch on a scale that was unimaginable. But there's going to be an invasion. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it's going to happen where Russia and Iran, which not right now in this world, in the present geopolitical situation that we live in, are uh, along with China, the great hostile, hostile nations to America. And they're going to move against Israel. That invasion will happen. We are told in this prophecy that God will get involved and He will defend Israel. That God will step in and He will not allow this nation to be destroyed and He will preserve this nation. That invasion, friend, is imminent. There's nothing else left to happen in the Bible for that to happen. Israel is a nation. Russia and Iran obviously are uh, operating uh, in unison uh, this morning. That could, I don't know if that's going to happen now, but it's going to happen. And if to understand Israel, understand there's going to be an invasion and God will spare the nation of Israel, which leads to the second word, and that's the word deception. Because somehow out of this war and this battle, Israel, deeply wanting peace, is going to finally sign a peace treaty establishing peace in the Middle East. If you're an older person, you probably are very familiar. Back in the days, in the 1970s, Henry Kissinger, the American uh, Secretary of State, would shuttle uh, between nations trying to achieve peace. There's a famous picture where Bill Clinton uh, is uh, standing uh, with uh, uh, Yasser Arafat and uh, I believe it was Shimon Peres, uh, and they're there together, uh, and like somehow peace in the middle, and it didn't work. We see this happen over and over again. Uh, Jimmy Carter did this with Anwar Sadat and Menachem Bacon uh, uh, over and over again, uh, and yet it's elusive. There's never any Peace. When's somebody going to finally get peace in the Middle East? Well, the Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 9, somebody's going to come and achieve a peace treaty. And when that happens, Israel is going to be deceived into thinking this man is a great man. He will be a man that is much admired and loved. He will be a very popular, charismatic leader. And Israel will, will view this man as a savior of their nation finally is will be able to live in peace but they're going to be wrong for three years this man is going to consolidate power in the world and then he is going to reveal himself for who he really is a monster worse than Adolf Hitler that all Adolf Hitler was was a precursor the appetizer for what was going to come and this man is going to defile the temple, and he is going to destroy the nation of Israel. Most of you are familiar with the term, the Antichrist. That this is who will be. That the people who crucified Christ are going to embrace as a savior, the one who is called the Antichrist or the opposite of Christ. And then he will do everything he can to destroy Israel. One last final effort. Let me read you what the Lord Jesus says about this in Matthew 24. He says, Let him who uh, is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those that are nursing babies in those days. Pray your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been seen since the beginning of the world on this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Those are the words of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He says, when this man turns, Israel will realize that they have been deceived. Which leads us to our third word and that's the word redemption. Because this is where we pick up the story in Zechariah. The world is gathered. We are finally going to finish these people off. This thing is finally going to happen. And right here, the Jews begin to cry out to God. They have nothing else they have been deceived, they've been lied to, they've been persecuted, and they're going to begin to cry out to God in a, in a national repentance. You know, this morning, the best thing to do when you realize that you've been deceived is to repent. Don't let your pride say, well, I'm not, repent. Repent. Because the Bible says they begin to repent. And the most amazing thing about God is God always responds where people have genuine repentance. That's true for you as an individual and it is true collectively for a nation. Verse 10. And he says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication Then they will look on me whom they pierced. And yes, they mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for his firstborn. Put it back to the first part of that. They're going to look on the one whom they have pierced. When they cry out to God, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to be the one that comes. And when he comes, they're going to realize that the Lord has scars. That the one that was crucified 2,000 years ago and many, many have denied for 2,000 years is the one that's going to come and save them. And the Bible says they're going to begin to mourn like, oh, God, what do we do? What do we do? How do we miss this? That this what's happening is Israel is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus Christ and him coming. And they're going to look. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation tells us the same story, but in a little different way. Revelation 19:11. he says, "Then I saw heaven opened." There before me was a white horse. The rider on the horse is called Faithful and True. He is, and he is right when he judges and makes war. Same story, just a different version. In Zechariah, they're crying out and he comes and they're going to realize it's Jesus. And they're going to mourn. They're going to mourn that the, this was the firstborn. This was the only begotten. John looking at it from another angle as the armies of the world are shaking their fists at God. And once again, the heavens open and here he comes. uh, And he says, I see him, faithful and true. Behind him will be an army of saints who seven years previous had been raptured who are going to return with him. And then in the end, Israel will cry out to him. And their answer is going to be Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Luke 21, 28. He said, you know, when you're, when you're paying attention to the news and you wake up in the morning, and you find out that Israel has is under attack. You know what Jesus said you ought to do? And he said, look up for your redemption draws near. You know what that means? It means wake up. You know what I told the people in prayer meeting yesterday morning? I said to them, do you know what the headline was on 9-11-2001? Michael Jordan returns to the NBA. And then 9-11 happened, and we said, who cares? See, everybody woke up yesterday thinking, oh, wow, big football game. You know, what's happening in politics. Oh, finally the weather's changed. Jesus says, when you see these things, you better look up. You better take your eye off what's happening here, and you better look up. And if you're here this morning, we're into a Bible conference, and it's like, well, Pastor, one of these days, and I know the Lord's called me, but you and I better think about what God wants us to do. We better think about this. really the time to put things off for another day. You know, I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine. He's, we, we go back a long time. We're right around the same age. I had a conversation with this man many years ago. And this guy, you know, we were talking. He kind of brought it up. At that time, he didn't Feel he was called to preach and a tremendous servant in his church, tremendous blessing. And our conversation was kind of like, you know, pastor, maybe we put too much pressure on young men that they're called. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth. And I said, well, I'm glad that the call was put before me as a teenager. But I called him just recently because I, I was thinking about this when I was working, did the sermon last week on the call of God. And I asked him hey, because he's now preaching. I said, what what happened? I was curious. And and you know what his response to me was? He says, you know, I don't know if it was ever a call. He said, I just believe we're in the last days. And I just realized, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is coming soon. And that I need to do as much as I can for him while I can. He's coming soon. Let's bow our heads.